0: It's just a city park that's got high rises around it now and trees like the change from what was created to the reality of sort of the evolving, changing life that Mm -hmm. maybe breeds some of that despair. Come back, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. It's so good to be back with you. I know. This is so exciting. When I said welcome back this time, this was not like welcome back every week like it usually is. This is welcome back after our break. Welcome back after the end of a season. Welcome to the beginning of a new adventure. Season nine, everybody. Whoa.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's wild. Nine seasons of No script. Uh, excited to be getting to jump into another one. Whatever that is, I don't know. It's like a lot of scripts. There's like it's a
0: <laughs> lot of I mean, we're, we're like, getting uh, way up
1: there in terms of the number <laughs>
0: of hours of recorded conversation of our voice talking about plays <laughs> that exist out
1: there. Yeah, it's it's been quite a bit. We're ex- so glad that you all continue to enjoy the conversations and that you all are joining us in conversation online about these great plays. It's just great to have a chance to continue to talk about some some of the best plays in theater, uh, in the library of, of theater around the world. So I'm excited that we get to jump into another new season with all of you.
0: Yeah, and, and, and it's super fun to be able to do such a variety of kinds of scripts. And we've had this sort of tradition in our, our no-script history every season. Uh, for a while, we had it, we did it one way, right? We talked about Lynn Nottage scripts at the beginnings yep. of seasons, and that was a fantastic journey, Lynn Nottage being you know one of, if not the best living American playwright. I'm sure I've said that about <laughs> at least more than 15 people at various times. But sorry, let's sorry, go sorry. with Lynn Nottage right now. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) And and then for a while, we were doing the most recent... Pulitzer winner. And that was great. And and now we're, you know, we're we're heading out into the unknown. The yeah, script is a Pulitzer prize winner from the past, but it's also it's an interesting pairing with next week's script, so we're trying that out a little bit too. It's a yep, uh, yep. it's a new journey. It's a new day. Many <laughs> things are staying day. the same, but some things are changing.
1: <laughs> Just little things. It's fine. <laughs> um and we're, and we're we're uh, to to and of, amelior- what's the word, to, to make the change a little bit better. Um, <laughs> we're sticking with a playwright that we have done on the show before, a beloved uh, playwright duo um, from American Theater especially. We are talking about Sunday in the Park with George by James the Pine and Stephen Sondheim.
0: Yes, this will be a really fun conversation because this is a really bizarre play. Yeah. I mean, it, uh-huh. it, a lot of the thinking, the writing, the reviewing, the, the performing that's been done over the years of Sunday with the Park with George is just about how stinking weird it is. (laughs) I mean, it's like, it's really two musicals (laughs) that are sort of loosely stitched together by having the same cast and then Mm -hmm. some reoccurring themes and different I mean, it'll just be very interesting and it's an interesting pairing with next week because uh, we don't do a ton of musicals on the show, but this week and next week we're doing musicals that were both written in the early 80s, uh, both by Sort of famous musical people in the uh, in the in the theater scene, so that'll be fun to do too. But uh, we'll just see how those two scripts kind of exist in conversation. Probably mostly next week when we discuss Little Shop of Horrors, of course, the Alan Menken musical.
1: Yeah, yeah, but but this week we'll we'll kind of focus in on this one. This one's just a great play about like art, about family, about uh, uh, both, both like, uh, uh, the artist and the art that they produce. And so, yeah. so it's like lots of kind of weighty themes all mixed in with just, you know, great music, great comedy. I'm, I'm excited. To, I'm excited to get to jump into the conversation around it.
0: Yeah. It, it, lots of folks said when it first came out to Stephen Sondheim, that there was some variation on this seems like your most personal piece yet. And as Stephen Sondheim, as, you know, one of the great American artists, I mean, set aside the category of performing art or theater art or writing, I think you would call Stephen Sondheim one of the great American artists. Mm -hmm. And so for him to produce this incredible musical with James Lapine about art, about what it is to be an artist, and then for people to say, this feels like your most personal work yet. I mean, that's fascinating to me. The, 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 The glimpse into what Stephen Sondheim Sondheim's uh, contradictions were what his 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 conflicted feelings were about the work that he dedicated his life to.
1: Yeah, it must be a weighty thing to be a playwright like Sondheim and have people constantly like view your characters who are like going <laughs> through it and being like, "Gosh, you must have been really going through it, huh?" It's especially funny because <laughs> Stephen Sondheim
0: like is very famous for saying like. I just write the music, the characters, (laughs) the characters, the plot. Like, I don't I don't have a lot to do with a lot of that. Yeah,
1: I like write the
0: music and it's, you know, incredible world changing music for
1: these uh, for these stage plays. Right, yeah. <laughs> okay, excited to get into the conversation, but before we do, just want to take a second and say thank you to all of our patrons over on patreon.com slash podcast. Thank you all for making this show possible. We're excited to get back into it, excited to continue having these conversations about theater's best scripts, and the patrons at patreon.com slash podcast make that happen. If you're looking for a way to help out the show, if you are a first-time listener and just already love our little tiny bit of conversation about Stephen Sondheim and and uh, James the Pine, or if you're a longtime listener and looking for a way to uh, kind of join the community and be a part of the community in a robust way patreon.com slash podcast is a great way to do that for as little as $1 a month $12 over the course of a year uh, you can join and get access to patron only posts and early access to what shows we're doing and stuff like that um we also have other tiers, uh, five dollar tiers, uh, for example, where you can uh, jump on board and uh, and uh, kind of get some producer credit. So that'll, that's 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 a kind of a fun dynamic. But uh, really, it's just the kind of uh, great. Uh, part of the community, uh, part of belonging in the community over there and us being able to talk to all of you as patrons and for you to help out the show, which is a labor of love for us. Alas, it's not a free one. So our patrons make it happen. Thank you all so much for being a part of the community in that way. We will see you at patreon.com slash script podcast.
0: Yes. One final robust thank you to the folks that are supporting us. And now back to the script. Here we go. Hey. Okay. So this is going to be the case, of course, with any Sondheim that we do ever. As it is, you know, the older the script gets in general, the harder the context is to do because it's had a much more robust life. So this is this is a snapshot. This is a, a, a an impressionist rendering. I don't know. That's probably not right. I'm not a nice. But hey, <laughs> I took a shot. <laughs> so uh, of course, this is by uh, the, the 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 team behind. is Steven Sondheim and James Lapine, a famous uh, pairing of theater artists. They're, of course, the team behind Into the Woods, another script that we've discussed. And Into the Woods is, is of course the, uh, much more popular than Sunday with the Park with George. As, uh, you know, I like Sunday in the Park with George better, but I <laughs> Into the Woods has never been like the top of my list in terms of musicals, so maybe right. that's just a personal reality. Uh, it was first opened in, well, well. first of all, I will say that the, this, the duo, Sondheim and Lapine, were inspired when they went to view George Sherratt's painting, of course, a Sunday afternoon on the island of Le Grand, and then some French word I can't pronounce. Jatte? <laughs> I'm sure. On Le Grand Jatte? <laughs> We're going to
1: butcher a couple French yeah, like, names be, in this podcast. <laughs> Sorry.
0: <laughs> so they go to see it. They're inspired by the sort of the mystery around George Sherat, his young death, his sort of he was inventing a, a, a style of painting, the, the dot, the pointillist is what it's called, right? Where he, 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 Paints in these sort of small dot like brush strokes, and then the colors side by side basically mix in the light or in your brain rather than being mixed to create color on the palette before being uh, put onto the canvas. So they're inspired by that. They go to create this musical about it. And in 1983, they open. What what amounts to the first act of the musical, uh, at the Playwrights Horizon Theater off Broadway with Manny Patinkin, and the the it being the first act only at this point, I think will make some more sense when Jackson does the synopsis because like. The first act, like, is the whole musical. And then there's another <laughs> musical at the end of it <laughs> that ties back in, sort of. So it's not actually surprising to me that they write basically a one-act musical, and it goes up at Playwrights Arises. And then they start to work on the full project, a full two-act musical, which takes place across multiple time periods and different characters. It's, it's very strange. Uh, that opens at 19, 1984 at the Booth Theater, on Broadway, and James Lepine directed that Broadway production. There are several, I'm sure, illegal YouTube recordings that you can watch of the 1984 production uh, that, that are available online. Not that we're encouraging that, but just to just to point out that you can probably watch that 1984 production on YouTube. That production wins two Tony Awards, uh, lots of other awards, including a uh, New York Drama Desk. It was taped by PBS for the American Playhouse, uh, and that's what you could also purchased, I'm sure, from PBS or accessed through their library, too. It goes on to win the 1985 Pulitzer Prize for Drama, joining that very short list of musicals, although it seems to get longer every year. feels like yeah. there's been a several musicals lately that have won the Pulitzer, but it wins the 1985 Pulitzer Prize for Drama, 1986-87, uh, it's the Goodman Theater in Chicago, 1990, it's in London for its uh, UK premiere at the Royal National Theater. It goes back on the West End in 2006, which that production transfers back to Broadway for a 2008 revival at the Roundabout in Studio 54. Um, earlier, it was at the Chicago Shakespeare Theater in 2002. Again, this is just snapshots. Just I mean, there's been thousands, probably, of productions of Sunday in the Park with George, including at every university in the country, you know? I mean, and, and lots of community theaters and lots of small professional houses. Uh, 2013, it was at the... Théâtre du Châtelet in Paris. And that production uh, was sort of re-orchestrated to have a full orchestra. So, of course, it was written originally for a small Broadway orchestra. Uh, And this production was rewritten for a full orchestra. It's a great production. The full orchestra sounds amazing with this musical, as you can imagine if you know it. And then in 2016, uh, there was a concert version where Jake Gyllenhaal, plays George uh, and what was going to be, uh, it, it then went on to Broadway in 2017 for a Broadway run and was scheduled to make the transfer to the West End when the pandemic hit and unfortunately that transfer was delayed and is, I think still technically delayed and may come about, but I think the the odds are slim at this point. Right. Uh, So that's just kind of a rough shot through the, the, the life of Sunday in the park with George.
1: Yeah, no, a, a well acclaimed play and one that like owns a little bit of the heart of a lot of theater artists. And that's partially due to the, uh, to the, the the content of the play about artistry, which we'll get into in a second. Um, notably, I think this was the song that all of Broadway gathered outside to sing in honor of Sondheim when he passed away last year. Um, or, 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 I'm sorry, a song from this musical is a song that they chose to all sing out in uh, like in the middle of uh, outdoor New York in honor of Sondheim when he passed away. So, so it's 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 a, a, a heartstring sort of play for the theater community. Um... I'm gonna try to synopsize this play. There's some fun stuff going on, there's a lot of characters, so hang in there with me, we're jumping in. The uh, first act of this play takes place in 1884 to 1886 in, uh, in France, just outside of Paris, um, uh, during the time that the Eiffel Tower is under construction. That's kind of a, a plot point that, that weaves its way through sometimes. Um, but most of the play takes place on an island in the Seine, um, uh, just outside of Paris. Uh, it also uh, uh, flashes back and forth between George's studio, which we'll get to in a minute. But the main the main setting is this park on the on the island. Um, the the play centers on George, who is a painter, um, and uh, his muse, his girlfriend, um, his uh, 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 accomplice in some some ways, but also uh, the uh, the. Uh, the artist in her own right, Dot, who, uh, uh, is, um, uh, the, the play starts and you have the two of them at the park and he's trying to, uh, paint her. Um, really the play though starts with this sort of, uh, um, magical moment where George comes out and like, um, uh, monologues a little bit about creating, uh, this painting, uh, uh, from, from a blank canvas. And, uh, so slowly the, the park kind of materializes with all these different characters, including Dot, who comes out and, and uh, sings uh, a great song about the difficulty of holding still and concentrating as George um tries to uh, paint her. Now, that int- introduces a bit of a dynamic for George. George is this um uh, mono focused individual oftentimes. He is focused on his art. He's focused on his painting. He is oftentimes quite rude to dot um and uh, kind of goes up and like moves her and keeps her in place, etc. Um and much of the action of the early part of Act one is around uh dot being discontent with uh his his level of distraction from her, um and uh his focus on the painting, while also getting a view into George and his sort of, um, Mentality about producing this painting. We find out from another scene that another one of his paintings has been released and it's kind of met to mixed reviews. Uh, people, people like, are fascinated by him because he's always in the park painting, but uh, not always uh, uh, enjoying his company because he's rather brusque. He has a friend named Jules, who is kind of an accomplished painter, an accepted <laughs> painter that he's trying friend. to right quote quote friend <laughs> named Jules who he's trying to get the the painting shown to. But he's in his study, kind of working on this this new form of art, an art that combines uh, visual art and color and light with science and the way your brain works. Um, And so he's kind of trying to invent this new thing. All of that leads to him and Dot um, uh, kind of having a uh, a considerable argument about him skipping out on going to the Follies. And so she breaks up with him and uh, winds up going out with Louis, who is a baker. And uh, so one day in the, in the park, they kind of cross paths again and uh, she kind of, uh, because uh, uh, George continues to be brusque with her, she kind of throws Louis in his face a little bit and sings this song about how great Louis is and how everyone loves Louis, even though she's kind of frustrated by Louis sometimes and wishes she could still be with George if only George would notice her. George is still like monofocused on the painting. I think after that song is a song about two dogs <laughs> that he's painting. <laughs> what a great song! <laughs> Um, so, so on that continues, um, eventually though, it becomes apparent that, uh, Dot is pregnant, uh, with George's child. And uh, she uh, kind of moves into that that uh, zone. Also, uh, just a, a, kind of a subplot that is quite important for the action of this romance. Two Americans are in town, um, <laughs> not really enjoying Paris all that much and want to go home, but they love the pastries. And so they're like, OK, we need to bring a, a baker back with us. That's important because Louis is hired or Louis is hired as the baker to go back with these Americans. Dot goes to George's study. The painting is just about done. Jules is coming over to view it and she comes and says, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to be leaving with Louis and your unborn child. Um, and, um, uh, what do you think about that basically? And George is like, how dare you, how, how dare you kind of bring this to me? And she, she just like continues to offer him the chance to, uh, tell her not to go. He refuses to do so he uh has a line about like why do you need me to say what you know is true um and she just has a continued line about just i need to hear you say it uh so they miss each other quite a bit in that scene uh jules comes in views the painting is like uh, uh uh aghast by it to some degree doesn't understand it doesn't understand the pointillism doesn't understand why no one has like really good faces um and and decides to leave um George runs back in, tries to talk to Dot a little bit, but eventually Dot leaves. Another heartbreaking song occurs. Listen to it. It's great. Um, and uh, uh, and she leaves. And um, what follows is a, a kind of final scene in the park um, where George is still painting uh Dot shows up with their child, who she's named Marie, um, and uh, tells them that she's leaving with Louis uh, for America. That's where the Americans are from, obviously. And so off they go. Um, big number at the end, where he kind of constructs the painting, the famous painting um, of Sunday afternoon on the island of La Grande Jatte. It's how I'm going to try to say that word. Um, and, uh, and big, big, big number at the end. Uh, pretty famous song at the end, A uh, Sunday. Um, and, uh, and, the, and the act ends with them frozen in this kind of still life. Second act begins. Now the second act starts with that same still life and people slowly breaking out of it. We hear news that uh, George has died. Um, We're not really sure why necessarily. In the script, there's a monologue from George, um, but in a lot of productions that monologue is not uh, present, but uh, he has this kind of monologue about uh, light and why he creates and uh, how he creates, how he notices things, but he dies unexpectedly at a very young age of 31. So you have Dot kind of reflecting about how she was in America when she heard the various characters reflecting on how uh, he impacted them and how uh, they interacted with him, et cetera. But pretty quickly. Just as a a
0: quick side note to that moment.
1: Yeah. uh, uh, Yeah. Lin-Manuel
0: Miranda has often talked about how influenced he is by Sondheim, and every time I get to that moment where the characters in the painting are talking about George's death and what they knew about him, I'm always like, I wonder if the end of Hamilton is inspired. (laughs) I mean, it feels very end of Hamilton, doesn't it? All these characters reflecting on his death and what they knew about him and how he changed their life, some of them giving, like, Th- saying things that we know are inaccurate about how they mm-hmm. felt about him only yep. in this sort of eulogolic fashion or this, this sort of eulogy. So I don't know. That was just, every time I come to it, I'm <laughs> yeah. like, it feels a like, lot like the end of Hamilton. I wonder, because Lynn manuel Miranda is so explicit about being influenced by Sondheim, if there's a, you know, a little more direct correlation there.
1: Oh, yeah, that's that's definitely even even eventually the sort of like carrying on uh, of George's story that happens. Right. Yes. With with uh, Dot's uh, journal eventually. Yeah, no, no, it's 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 a, it's it, it'd be interesting to kind of hear an interview about that. Um, <laughs> um, but eventually, as these each characters kind of walk off and go off, uh, we transition into 1984. Um, yes, that's that's 1984, uh, 200 or uh, 100 years later, uh, George's great or great grandson. George um is uh producing this uh uh visual art piece um that he is basing around the the life of the uh 1800s George and this painting in particular and he has his grandmother there who is Marie the baby from the previous act um he kind of uh shows off this uh uh this this uh uh, performance art piece that is constructed around this kind of computer generated uh, or computer operated mechanism called the chroma loom, um, and it kind of shoots off laser lasers and can project images and such. Um, and he kind of has this study in in light and and sound in collaboration with a uh, music artists. There's a lot of great dialogue back and forth at this scene, uh, both both with uh, Grandma Marie, um, uh, kind of uh, riffing off of the prompts. Um, and uh, but eventually the the production uh, hits a snag because the the chroma loom dies. They have to like bring on a an artist person to fill some time. And eventually they get it going. And there's a big laser. Laser Show, etc. Follows is a pretty uh, important song about uh, putting it together. And this is where we see the current George's dilemma, which is he's trying to do his art, but he doesn't have the money to do his art. So he has to keep making all these connections with different people People who don't really understand his art in a similar way that 1800s George's art wasn't really understood. 1900s George's art is this kind of laser show and uh, he has to kind of fight people's uh, or fight the urge to be angry at people even as he needs their money and connections and such. That scene eventually ends with this kind of touching moment with Grandma Marie who is reflecting on the painting uh, that is there that this whole uh, performance art piece was about um, and how her uh, kind of connection with her mother Marie and her love for 1900s George and saying uh, how uh, Marie would have, or I'm sorry, her mother Dot, she is Marie, and how Dot would love to see what this 1900s George is doing. He creates things, etc. cetera. Um, she uh, eventually is, is taken off stage and uh, we uh, transition to the next scene where George and his partner Whose name escapes me at the moment, um, but he's the kind of technician. Um, and uh, Dennis. Uh, the, thank you, Dennis, who uh, kind of puts together the machines while uh, George kind of controls the the display and the art and the and the uh, descriptions and stuff like that. He comes up with the ideas, and Dennis makes them happen. They have gone to uh, the island of La Grande Jatte, um, or uh, sorry, La Grande Jatte. Um, and uh, are installing this piece there uh, at the request of the French government, and it's completely different. What used to be a kind of a beautiful park along the Seine is this kind of urban-ish center now with one tree that they take a picture next to um, as they're installing it, and what you get in this scene, you you find out that Grandma Marie has died, um, and uh, George is kind of grappling with that, and uh, he's grappling kind of more largely with his art in general and his place in the art world, whether he can do meaningful work, is also kind of grappling with this. He's like, I got to go back to NASA because this is too stressful um, and and uh, decides to leave him. So George is kind of in the park. Um, a pretty notable prop that I have forgotten to mention at this point is a book. Um, uh, Marie, or Dot, really, in the first scene is trying to learn how to read. So it's this grammar book that she keeps some notes in as she slowly learns how to read. Marie keeps this book and passes it on to George. And George discovers, and Marie discovers um, that... In the back of the book, Dot has written all these notes about 1800s George, um, and uh, he opens up the book, begins to read it in in this park after Dennis has left, and the sort of visage of Dot appears and kind of talks with him a bit about... Uh, both how he is similar to his great-grandfather and about how art is a really important thing. Um, uh, uh, often repeated line, uh, I believe by Marie, is art and children are the two things that you want to leave behind you. Um, and so uh, what, what uh, kind of transpires in that last scene is the ghost or the visage of Dot, Talks to George and in a way says some of the things that she would have wanted to say to 1800s George and 1900s George talks to Dot and kind of gets this kind of vision of meaningfulness and impactfulness of art as slowly the urban center fades away and uh, the park returns in this sort of vision with all the different characters from the painting that all kind of come up and meet George as he reads off the notes of Dot in the back of the grammar book. Um, and uh, you get kind of the, the uh, two Georges joined in that one moment um, as the play ends with uh, the kind of final line about how blank space is the most uh, exciting opportunity that an artist can have. That was a wild ride. There's lots of things unsaid, um, but there's lots going on in the play. So that's kind of the broad strokes of it.
0: Well, and it is a it's a wild ride, right? i mean, if if you look at a lot of the reviews that were written, especially early in the life of the musical, before before it became part of the canon, right? And we just sort of stopped questioning it, uh, th- there's a lot of questions about the second act about about and the word justified is often used. Is mm. the second act justified? We spend. It's probably I mean of the total running time of the musical it's 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 maybe 70% of the musical with George Sorra the painter in, you know uh you know more than 100 years ago uh in France in this park as he is is creating this masterpiece painting and dealing with the interpersonal relationships that he's sort of leaving at the wayside in service of doing this thing that's new this art that's new and that that story comes to some sort of uh conclusion a decision right he decides to let dot go to America so that he can stay and do this painting and decides to sort of capture all these people that he's met in 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 the in the masterpiece that goes on to become you know his his of course his legacy, and then you know we have intermission and we transfer more than hundred years into the future uh, to a museum where his great grandson is doing like robot art with lasers (laughs) and it's a totally different character of course played by the same actor so there's some generational stuff and then that george goes back to france and meets the ghost of dot so it is a little bit like what is this like a consistent are we supposed to interpret george Surratt the painter and his journey through the journey that his great-grandson goes on in the second half of the play. Like, are we as the audience supposed to read them as one character and thus one journey? Or is this two musicals stitched together by some thematic and some character, uh, you know, associations?
1: Right, right. I think that the, the commentary, the question of commentary um, or what, what is the play trying to say Um, is, is kind of at the core of what you're talking about. Like, what is, what is the big like takeaway of these two scenes? Is there anything to draw them together? Um, and, and I think some of that has to do with the, like the, the cut shortness of the 1800s, George, um, he, he dies at 31, like really soon after, after the events of the play or uh, the events of act one. Um, And so you kind of have the, the, uh, his story is cut short. He arrived at a similar moment though, as 1900s George did, where he had enough, um, uh, exposure, enough connection to people. Connection is a big theme, um, uh, in, in, especially the second act, but also in the first act, he kind of over and over says to himself, connect, connect George, um, and uh, you, you, you kind of have him kind of starting to get these, these, these people to see his art, but ultimately he never, uh, an important line, he's never sells a painting, um, and you never really see, he never really sees the, uh, the acclaim that his paintings eventually generate. 1900s. George is at a similar moment, and is asking himself a similar question: of Can I sustain this? Can I keep going? Is there is there worth in this art? And I think that's that's the drama, at least, of the second act: is what happens if you have more time, um, and uh, can can continue to move on and persevere in art and try to keep creating.
0: Yeah. So we got you. got 1880s. George Surratt and 1980s. George, and then you have made maybe some more comparisons between them than I think I would. I think there's a lot of interesting differences between them. For Mm. example, in the the George Surratt, the painter from 1880, the, the criticism that he receives over and over, especially from Jules. Jules is this older painter who he respects his opinion a lot and who kind of Axe serves as the art critic for that portion. There's a ver- different version of an art critic that comes back later for the 1980s, George, the laser artist. Um, right. But the 1880s, George has this friend, right? Serves as a critic. So so the, the critical reception that George R- Surratt receives, at least as, as Stephen Sondheim and James Lapine imagine it, is basically a criticism of his being new. Right. He's trying to do this new comp thing that it's a combination of science and art where the, the paint colors aren't mixed on the canvas. They're mixed by your eye and by light. And the criticism is basically this is not how painting is done. This is and, and George says over and over, I'm not I'm not painting for you. I'm trying to do something new. Why do I have to paint like everybody else? But the criticism comes back to haunt him over and over. This is not what painting is. This is not what we're, we do. So this is not going to work. And and as you point out, he's never paid for any of his paintings. In fact, I don't think he even really gets a show, at least in the context of the musical. I don't know if that's true for George Surratt's real life. But in the context of the musical, we never really see any of his art garner any reception, really. Um, And then the 1980s, George, by contrast, is really going through a reverse problem. He's done this same art installation basically over and over with small variations like this crow maloon light sound music show he's on like the seventh iteration of this particular piece and virtually everybody around him is like you know it was very it was really cool when you started and right. now it's like you're on the seventh one you know, are you gonna try something else maybe and that's what he ultimately is is grappling with. And finally, when he goes back to France in the park, uh, he he's able to say, "I'm I'm actually not working on anything new. I don't know what's next." If I think he finally tells Dennis, "I don't want to do this again." So the, there's an interesting discrepancy there, right? The 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 focus on being new versus the the pressure to be new that that 1980s George faces.
1: Yeah. Another another big difference is their uh, their their different problems of connection. <laughs> um, 1800s, yes, 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 yes. Uh, George has a problem connecting at all. Um, he has a he has he has a great artistic ability. He has this kind of vision for what he can do. Um, and he knows that it is powerful and impactful. He has this beautiful like sung relationship in the play with his artwork, but he can't connect with other people. Um, and he, and he doesn't seem to really care to either, um, uh, where he, he kind of consistently, um, people consistently sing to him that he is not caring about them, but rather kind of, there's, there's this great character who's like an, where's an eye patch in the play, who's this kind of like stand in character or not our background character in the painting, um, who like sings at him that, how dare you like steal me essentially and make a judgment about me and just paint me. Versus 1990s uh, or, or, or 1980s, George, just is integrally connected. He has this whole like manic song about how he is trying to stay connected, have conversations, talk, 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 just so that he has a chance to get his good idea out there. But he doesn't necessarily have a new good idea. Um, so, so you kind of see the kind of the, the, the two sides of the coin you can have like, it's al- almost in, in a, in a, um, a dyad sort of way of like, you can have one or the other. You can either be connected and have, uh, no time to do your art, or you can have time to do your art and not be connected and not be paid for it.
0: Yeah. It, I think it, I think the two Georges very much represent the, uh, the sort of. Danger of of art as a career, right? One way or the mm-hmm. other, if you're going to invest all of yourself to become the genius that George Surratt we now know as, right, it, it's necessarily going to impact the rest of your life and your ability to have the rest of your life, right? And then on the flip side, if you're if you have this community of financial support and you're celebrated and you're you're making all this money by making all these political and he, I mean, and in 1980s George calls them political. That's not me reading into them. The these connections to 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 have to finance your work, what time is left for the work to be new and inspiring? And, and as people commented on this being a, a personal project for Sondheim, I mean, what what did Sondheim work on? The most like the most expensive art, probably in the history of the world, right? Is right. Broadway theater? Is there a yeah. more expensive art in the history of all time <laughs> than Broadway musicals? I right. mean, Sondheim had to have constantly be fundraising i would imagine uh, this is me speaking uh you know as i imagine uh, some of the things that sondheim did were in order to be able to produce the kinds of things that he produces there are also interesting little weird connections like i wonder about this jackson the the uh Jules, the art critic character and painter from the first part from george Surratt's life calls his work or there's at least a discussion around his work being mechanical uh, they critique his first painting of the, the boy swimming as being mechanical and then when they're doing their eulogy of him he's like you know he actually wasn't as mechanical as I said he was and then it's <laughs> I think it's fascinating that then the 1980s great-grandson George's work is literally mechanical yeah. like it's it's literally a mecha- <laughs> it's a machine <laughs> that is mm-hmm. producing this art and light show
1: yeah yeah it is it is kind of offers or it does kind of offer that interesting question of what is passed on Um, kind of carried through generations. Um, and, and you, you kind of, uh, get, you get two versions of that, right? You get George and George, obviously. Um, but you also get, (laughs) (laughs) um, but you also get Dot and Marie, Um, you get, uh, both, both those, both those, uh, uh, characters or pairs of characters are played by the same actor. So there's a a lot of visual synthesis between the two, but you also have, uh, the two of them get pretty extensive time to display their, uh, worldviews. Um, and, and that's sort of like, uh, joining, joining of values between them, at least. Um, both Georges are very focused on art, (laughs) very, uh, very focused on trying to generate something new and something creative and both dot and marie are kind of focused on on this sort of uh, uh art certainly um but the sort of act of of creating in community with people um you you have uh, Marie talking about uh how art and children are the things you want to leave behind you because they have this sort of like staying power and beautiful addedness to the world um and you have dot kind of uh, consistently talking to George about trying to uh, connect and make things together and try to like at least go out somewhere together um and and so you kind of get to see those generational, you know, generational uh, values getting passed down and and working themselves out across a hundred years.
0: And there's an interesting way that the, the the script theatricalizes. And I don't know, this may be Lapine more than Sondheim, but the, there are several times throughout the play it becomes sort of an established mechanic of the play where characters step out of the scene and leave behind some sort of visual, artistic representation of themselves. And different productions imagine this differently. The script has a particular way that they've written it. Uh, when when Dot leaves the scene, for example, to talk to the audience, but her body like stays in the moment, she steps basically out of her dress. And the dress, I think in a sort of comic note on like how stiff and mechanical the you know, dresses of the period were. I think there's a joke being made there, but the dress stays behind and she steps out and is able to talk to the audience. At different times, George uh, leaves behind what the script calls cutouts, uh, which are like, I I assume sort of the script was imagining Lapine or Sondheim or whoever was imagining like uh, real life size versions of the paintings that were being produced. Because, of course, all the characters in the first part are paintings of, of are characters from the painting. Uh, and then George, the 1980s George, redoes that in the museum where he's having all of these financial conversations in that incredible song. And he leaves behind cutouts of himself. Yeah. All over. Now, again, different productions do that differently. For example, some there's some productions have used screens and projections to do all of them. So when Dot steps out of the scene, she doesn't step out of her dress. It's just a projection on a screen of the, the figure from the painting. So, so there's lots of different ways to imagine it. But regardless of how you've done it, there is this sense of stepping out of the present life and leaving behind some sort of visual stagnant. I think stagnant maybe is a more important word there. Representation of yourself in the life moment.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of like interesting uh, control about those uh, uh, sort of stagnant or frozen things. Um, uh, certainly, George exhibits, uh, 1800s George exhibits a lot of control over them. At, at the very first scene of the play, there's a tree that he doesn't like in the way. And so he just like tells it to go away. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it disappears um but then, and uh, then the it,
0: nurse and the old woman yeah. are like looking for that tree where's our tree yeah. <laughs> the tree we always sit under
1: it used to be right here insane yeah yeah and then then uh, 1900s george is like it's it's all himself he's like manically crafting himself and getting himself to like be different people to the, to the point that, like, uh, this critic comes up to him um, and, like, just, like, pretty, I, I don't know. You may have sensed from our tone that laser artist is not, like, something that, like, we necessarily think of as high art. But maybe it is. Um, and this critic comes up and tries to uh, critique him um, uh, about his art. And he tries to conjure up this other image of himself and he just can't do it. He, like, continuously can't do it before. So he finally, like, has to lean in and, and get... uh uh, angry back at her. So, so there's this like question of control over these stagnant parts of ourselves as well, or these, these, um, uh, uh, I don't know if, I don't know about stagnant, but like picturesque moments of ourselves, um, that we're trying to control and, and shape and form.
0: Yeah. And there's a, there's a lot of rumination too, right? About like what are is what is it what, yeah. I mean, what does it even really mean when you're an artist there's a great line as george's um as i recall this is shortly after he's sort of learned for sure that that dot is leaving him um and is, is you know so so whole, whole life is changing all throughout the first act he's focused on painting this hat the hat then comes back a number of times but there's a great line as he's singing about this look i made a hat where there never was a hat Yeah. And so this power to create out of nothing or remove. Right. He deletes the tree in the beginning, as you were saying. And so there is all of this, like the power of creation that is invested in the artist. And yet at the same time, I wonder if that the cutout uh, mechanism is, a, is sort of a commentary on that, right? Like, there is the power of creation. You can create this hat. You can create this gorgeous painting of Dot, who is a stand-in for the real Dot, but it it doesn't move. It doesn't live, or or better yet, it doesn't live, right? It doesn't breathe. It doesn't talk to you. It's a stagnant thing, even if you're a filmmaker today, right? Of course, George Surratt wouldn't have really known about filmmaking, but even if today you are, right? It's like the movie's over at two and a half hours. Like, art is creative. It has a power of creation invested in it, but once that creativeness has come into being it it necessarily is stagnant it it is it is captured somehow in a way that's different from life
1: hmm yeah yeah so i i wonder if that's tied into some of 1900s george's struggle is is kind of noting the what he kind of views as the the kind of vapidness of it um the kind of like the stagnation of it of art Um, especially, especially, uh, the, with, with the, um, the difference between the way the island looks in the painting, the way he finds it. Um, and, and, and that's sort of like almost despair that he goes through. Yes,
0: oh, um, that's totally right. Yeah, the the, yeah. the, the way that the, the park was captured in the painting, this gorgeous sort of pastoral, beautiful area, right? It was created, whole cloth. You know, it was a real place, but he, we know that he edited the landscape, basically. Created by George Seurat. And when George goes back to, you know, hoping to discover that same thing, that creative impulse is still alive, still there. It's like... It's just a city park that's got high rises around it now and no yeah. trees like the change from what was created to the reality of sort of the evolving, changing life that mm-hmm. maybe breeds some of that despair.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which which is just like a perfect T on which to set the ball that that is then knocked out of the park by uh, Dot showing up and kind of giving him the the sort of beautiful connection to those characters in from that time. You know, th- this, this play is full of characters that we haven't named and probably won't have time to name, um, but each of them have their own little stories and ways that they're weaving through. You really get the sense in Act One that this park is just full of people's stories. And while uh, 1800's George couldn't connect with the people and like hear their stories, he was able to kind of see a part of them and put them in this painting that lives on forever and ever, um or at least, you know, in, in for for as long as as long as there is media on which to view it. <laughs> um, and so you kind of get this, like, in the midst of 1900s, George's despair in the middle of the place uh, that that's that kind of uh, inspired these the, this image um, uh, and in the middle of him kind of realizing the, the effects of stagnation, you get this this uh, connection to the real people again. You get this connection to the people whose stories are captured in the art and maybe a way forward for George to continue 1900s, George to continue making art.
0: Yeah, I, I, that's the struggle for me though because it I, – I, I, again, I, I, this is – we, sort of, we sort of already mentioned this. But I don't know if I'm supposed to read or experience yeah. 1980s George's plight uh, as a continuation of George Surratt's plight. And if I am, like, it, I, I'm just not sure they're going through the same thing or perhaps that's going over my head. And if I'm not, then I'm left a little bit like, well, what, about, what happened to George <laughs> <Surren>? <laughs> I mean, we learned that he died, but like- yep. What about this journey that that we are experiencing of the character George Surratt uh, you know, grappling with the, the sort of the price of genius or, or, or the, uh, the 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 contrast between what it takes to do something new versus you know what he has to give to do something new. I, I love that the boatman has a great line about every you know, people all want to be painted, he says like splashed on a fancy saloon wall. But they all end up hating the artist. They don't know what it takes to do yeah.
1: that. Yeah, I know that, and the the kind of consequences. Yeah, you don't you don't you don't get to like live in the consequences of of eighteen hundred George's uh, actions. Really, they're kind of stolen from you. So there has to be something, right? There has to be some sort of like uh, uh guiding guiding uh, through line between them. Um, and I, I, wonder if there's, there's kind of two, I, I wonder your thoughts on two different kind of guiding lines between them. Cause we talked about George a lot and George and George and their kind of through line, but we've talked about some of the dissonance between them a little bit too. Um, I wonder about, uh, uh, the, the painting and art itself as our through line and, and, uh, or as dot as, as our through line, um, because Dot gets a lot of uh, stage time, a lot of song time. Um, She has monologue songs all to herself. Almost, I I imagine... It's close. It's certainly close to the same amount as 1800 George's monologue songs. <laughs> so yeah, there's that's a, true. Yeah,
0: there's
1: there's quite a bit of 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 uh, theater time uh, theater uh, stage time given to given to Dot as a character. And she is uh, the, uh, of of the of the recurring characters. She is the only one that shows up again in the second act as a fully her own character. Cause George is this sort of blend of both um, in in the last scene a little bit, but as fully dot, she shows up again at the end.
0: Yeah. And, and, and the continuation of the art, let's start with that conversation because I do think that's interesting. The, the, the conversation that they have around George Surratt, Ar- Surratt's art as he's producing it, this sort of lack of humanity, this emphasis on the light. And I, and it's a little complicated for me because, of course, now in retrospect, we all understand what George Strutt did as absolute genius invention, uh, you know, totally recreating the form. Uh, we think of it as a masterpiece, this park. And yet when Jules sees it for the first time, and granted, he's not a character we're supposed to, like, side with a lot. But when he sees <laughs> it for the first time, one thing he says is, like, you can't even see the people's faces, And George says, I'm not painting faces. I'm not even really painting people. I'm painting, I want to see how the light works in your brain, right? So it is an interesting, if if you took that as a a sort of a fair uh, approach to the painting, I'm not sure it is, but if you did, then 1980s George's art, right, is like that to the extreme. There literally are no people in it anymore. I mean, there's there's nothing. It's just laser lights and music, the, the total humanity, the whole idea of. Uh, oh, here's an interesting point. One thing that they say about George Surratt, right, a number of the characters, is that he picks his subjects really well. Like the subject of the paintings, and the, and that's of course the whole idea of the park painting is that it's lots of subjects uh, in this, you know, tons of people scattered in this park. So he, there, there is a, a, a capturing of the humanity of it. Even if maybe that's not quite understood, but in in 1980s, Georges' art, like, is there even really a subject to that art? It's 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 literally just light and music, and that of course is that it's that furthest extreme pushing of what the character George Surratt claims that he's trying to do in in the 1880s. So that that is an interesting through line, right? I mean, if if that, that human had lived a hundred years and was still a young man a hundred years later. Would this be the kind of art he was doing? And would yeah. he be literally divorcing himself from the humanity of his art? I, I don't know. And I'm not even yeah. sure that's really a fair way to view what's going on.
1: Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um I, I do like, I do like too the, the so the the sort of art um, disconnected from humanity that you that you mentioned in there or or and and, and the kind of progression of it throughout. I, I think there is a subtle through line that is that is subterverting that philosophy. Um, because even as George moves away, from or 1800s George, moves away from Dot towards this painting, towards this science, towards trying to explore more and more and more. He puts four versions of Dot in the painting, or at least Marie claims that he does. Um, there's, there's the, the kind of obvious one, the main one with her in the parasol, but then she's sitting on the ground in two different forms and in the background as well, a very similar looking character. So you have this, uh, this sort of question about uh, how connection to people still pervades his art, even though he moves against it so much. Um, you also have uh, 1900s George, And he has a it's 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 hard because this act is so small and you're so taken by surprise. There's lots of little pieces in it, though, about like his relationship to his wife, who he has moved away from. They've divorced. They've lost connection there. His art does not focus on humanity at all or on people's people's uh, uh, actual physical forms at all. He tries to bring in this like story, right? His family's story. But even that he's resistant to letting his grandma like tell it fully who, even though she kind of ranges, ranges off a little bit. So I think some of his journey then too is towards finding that humanity to infuse back into art, um, into his art specifically. So I wonder if that doesn't like carry us through this like movement away from humanity back towards humanity in art and, and the kind of tension of that as the two characters try to navigate it.
0: Uh, yeah, and then talking about Dodd, it's like, Again, this journey becomes a little... It's, it's a little hard for me to grasp in ways, but there is something clear happening. At the end of Act 1 with George Surratt in 1880, the duet that they sing, famous duet from Sunday in the Park with George, the duet that they sing is basically... It's their breakup song for good this time, right? And the, one of the refrains is, uh, we do not belong together. I think she even says, like, y- you know, you're know, com- you a complete person yourself. There's no room for me. We do not belong together. And she goes off to America. America, and of course, George Surratt dies and blah blah blah, blah blah. At the end of Act two, when dot reappears as this sort of ghost theatrical character speaking with her great grandson as if he is George Surratt, her lover, all this, right? He she, the the duet that they sing, we've always belonged together. So there there's a movement there. And it, Dot does seem to believe in the end that the George she's speaking to is her George, right? George Surratt. Now, again, is that the audience supposed to live into that? That he's somehow theatrically, metaphysically become his great-grandfather? Um, or are we supposed to understand the the, dis, uh, the disconnection, the dissonance? Uh, or is it supposed to be both at once? I don't know. But there, there is a movement there.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question of when or if George figures out what's happening in that scene. It's a really metaphysical scene. It's strange in general. Um, But, but like trying to figure out when, or if George 1900s, George either becomes 1800s, George, which I think is, would be a poor choice because we don't actually follow through 1900s, George all the way through um, to, to kind of his realization, but when, or if he realizes what's happening um, and tries to like, take on that mantle, essentially, that Dot is giving him um, is is just an interesting question for the actor to try to grapple with. Right. Because that that's a visual journey. The lines don't necessitate that journey, but there's there's something happening there. And there's the kind of fun of trying to figure out what and how it happens.
0: <laughs> well, and it's it's all it's all a mystery. It's all it's an experience. Right. I mean, that's yeah. truthfully, that's so much of what's incredible about Sondheim, the experience of the music, the experience of these you know a lot of what Sondheim did is just not very plot oriented right a lot boy i'm not saying anything new there and it's it's <laughs> i think that's true of this too is some of it is just like a wash and a, and a, and a, and a catharsis more yeah. than i mean it's just the experience of living into this strange theatric at once George is in the 1980s and the 1880s he's himself and his grandfather Dot who's long dead is with him and speaking to him and inspiring him in a journal but also there on stage I mean the, the, the first part of the second act which is probably it, it might be a 15 minute song is just the characters from the painting standing absolutely still in their yeah. painting poses singing about what it's like to be a character in a painting on a museum wall. I mean, it's like, what does that have to do with anything? Nothing. But it's (laughs) incredible. I mean, it's like, it's the the genius just shines through in part because of the strangeness.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And the way it all weaves together, like so many of the songs have just this kind of wall of of vocals coming at you of of all these characters saying little bits and pieces of their story, but like getting just enough focus for you to catch like a word or two and then shifting quickly to another. It is, uh, I like catharsis. Um, It's not properly tragic catharsis probably, but there is this like overwhelming emotion that eventually builds in you as a result of having seen it and having been a part of so many of these characters' stories, which alas, we have not been able to grapple with even like half of them, but we've kind of delved into uh, uh, as much of the script as we can in the time that we have. Alas, we must wrap up the podcast, but we don't have to stop the conversation. We'd love to keep talking with all of you out there in podcast land. Um, You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the username at Podcast. We also have a Gmail, Podcast at gmail.com. Please find us on any of those sites. We would love to continue to talk with you and cultivate the conversation between all of you out there on the social medias.
0: Absolutely, if you've liked this episode, if you've liked any of the other eight full seasons of episodes that are out there for you to listen to, please recommend the podcast to your family, friends, anybody you know that likes theater, scripts, stories, analysis. There's there's a lot of different groups that this podcast can be great for. So send those folks our way. They can find us on Podbean, on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. You can also like our Facebook page where every Monday as a new episode comes out there is a link just posted there for you to click and listen for the less technologically savvy folks in your life that'd be an easy way to keep track of the podcast
1: so next week we're going to be talking about another musical so get excited for that until then i am jackson Nikolai. i'm jacob man christensen
0: thanks for joining us for no script the podcast